Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship today. Uh, man, it is so refreshing to come into the house of the Lord and to worship together. Um, hopefully you guys believe that. Yeah. Amen. A few of us, okay. So uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then also just put a, maybe a finger there in 1 John uh, chapter 4, and we're going to be in both of those places. Uh, today I want to start a new series entitled 101, and uh, I want to just talk to you today. Can we just talk? Is that good? No, nobody wants to talk. Trust me, it's going to be a one-sided talk, right? Do you guys feel better about that? You know that you don't have to say anything? So some of you are nodding. Okay, just, yeah, you can nod. You can wink. You can give me an amen every now and then. But I want to start a new series entitled 101. And uh, really, we've been doing a lot of stage work up here. And as we're doing some work behind the curtain and behind the scenes, uh, we had to go all the way down to the basement and start laying some foundational um, support beams and stuff like that. And so I thought, I, I, I just begin dwelling on the importance of foundation, um, having a solid foundation, I guess. The, it, it's important, church. And sometimes if, if our foundation is faulty, then everything we do is faulty. That's true. Have you ever bought a house with a bad foundation? Everything begins to creak and, and shift and all of that stuff. It's not good. And so, um, so I want to go back to our roots a little bit. When I was in college, uh, all freshmen had to take what they called 101 classes. 101. And 101 was your introductory classes. It was like your or orientation classes, your foundational classes. And you could never make it to 201 or 301 or 401, all of those do deeper things, without first having a prerequisite of 101. You have to go through 101 first. Um, because 101 gives you the information that you're going to need to grow um, down the road in all ways. It, it helps a lot to know addition and subtraction, multiplication and division way before you ever get to calculus, right? Don't try jumping into calculus without knowing some basic math skills. You'll be frustrated. And so that's kind of our concept of what we're doing today. Today I want to go way back and I want to just start talking maybe about some of those foundational things that you and I um, we, maybe we once knew, maybe we need a refresher course. Maybe you're new to church, maybe you're new to Christ, and you're just discovering them for the first time. These are, these are things that are oh so important. And so, uh, so today I want to look at the book of Corinthians, because in Corinthians, um, Paul is writing, and the Corinthian church, they were all over the place in their meeting times and in their services. And, and uh, their services would go long, and it would be all over the place, and they'd have all these different manifestations of the Spirit, and, and they were misappropriating um, the spiritual gifts that God had given them. And they were doing that in an attempt to be more holy. And they thought, well, if we just do this, we could be more holy or more godlike, and if we could just do this. And, and so everyone was all over the place a little bit trying to go after God. And that's why Paul would kind of write a note to them 
and 1 Corinthians to kind of refocus them and to refocus their attention. And so, in essence, Paul was giving the Corinthian church a 101 class, right in the middle. And so, uh, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13. And today I want to talk about love. Love is so foundational to our faith system. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. And then Paul would go on and write a very famous passage of Scripture here in verse 4. And he would say, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then if you read on, if you skip down about five verses, Paul would conclude his thoughts to the church there on this subject. And he'd say, now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so love is really where you and I begin our journey with, with God, our journey with Christ. There is no better place to start than with love. We accept God's love, and then we learn as Christians to reciprocate God's love. And that's really where you and I all start. It's 101. This week I was at the doctor's office, because I'm just that old, where I have to go see him regularly. We're good friends. But then the bill, the bill comes and I realize we're not that close of friends. <laughs> right? You guys know what I'm saying. Uh, so I went to the doctor's office this week and... Um, Doctor's office, my doctor's office is pretty good, but you just, I don't know. Sometimes you hate the process. You go in there and you know it's going to be bad when they have a whole room that is called the waiting room. You know, that's all you do there is wait, right? You expect to wait. I'm in the waiting room. And then they call your name and then you think you're getting somewhere, right? But you're really, you're really not. Because what they're doing is they're moving you to a smaller room to wait some more. Right? Have you guys ever been there? Right? Okay, so now I'm, I'm waiting. Now I'm just going to go back there and wait some more in a smaller room. So I'm in this little room where they're going to do their thing. And, and, um, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm just sitting there. And outside of my door, there must have been the, a phone. A phone. And there was some nurses, must have been a nurse's station, because I could hear a conversation from, with a nurse on the phone, and she's trying to set up an appointment for somebody else, for another person. And they're talking about, oh, yeah, doctor, 
because um, they didn't want to come in. Doctors were like, oh, yeah, we, we can't do, a, 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 I guess, a, an appointment over the phone, but we can do a Zoom because the doctor has to be able to see, see you and all this. And, um, and they begin, and they're like, well, no, no, it's really easy. We send you a text link, and then you follow the text link. And there's this great big discussion, and I'm not trying to eavesdrop. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, snoopy by nature. It just was right there in my backyard. And so, so this is happening. It's unfolding. And so the nurse is about ready to get off the phone. And as she's getting off the phone, she goes, okay, I love you too. Goodbye. And hangs it up. And I sat back, and it struck me a little funny. And then I heard this dialogue between her and another nurse. She said, that was weird. <laughs> she said, they said, I love you. So I felt like I had to say, I love you too, back. So I was thinking that whole time that when my nurse comes in, I should tell her that I love her <laughs> too. But then again, I rethought that. I thought that's a whole lot of awkwardness just to go for a laugh. I'm like, that would be really, really weird. So, uh, so I had this, this, you know, this, this funny story about love this week. And as I talk about love, and, and we're in love today, I'm like, I, I want to define what love is because it seems like we have such a great, uh, big, wide variety of definitions of what love really is. So what is love? Right? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Right? What is love? What is what has love got to do with it? Love is foundational to understanding how God feels about us and how we should feel about God. And John tries to define what love is and give us an understanding of how important this is in our dynamic with God and how much God loves us. And he says this in 1 John 4, 7. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And then John goes on further to define what love is according to the Bible. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And so John here is writing to define what love is, and, and, and John really writes his entire book to teach us about God's love. In its short 135 verses here in 1 John, John mentions the word love 46 times. And he's writing to combat a popular philosophy of that day known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was this, uh, this um, 
philosophy of knowledge, that knowledge is power. And the more knowledge that we have about something, the more knowledge that we have um, about, about a certain topic, the stronger we are. And so they, a, a, a Gnosticist, and approaching God would say, the more that I know about God, the stronger I get. And so really the pinnacle of their faith would be to know a lot about God. The strongest people in their faith system would be the people that knew the most. And John is writing to kind of challenge that thinking. And he says, you can know all about God, but that's not good enough. Church, the, the, the same truth holds true today. We have in our world what we call agnostics who believe in God, but they, they, they believe that the best that you can do is have a knowledge of God. You can't have relationship. You can't work with, with that. And, and, and that's not necessarily what John is writing about. John is saying, no, it goes much, much, much deeper than all of that. And, he, and John, in his writings, tells us about a great big God who loves people. He loves sinners. And that's really where your and my journey begins. That's really where Christianity begins. It begins with love. We call this worship. Learning to worship. We spent some time in worship today, but worship is not singing songs. I hope you guys know that. Worship is not playing an instrument. Worship is not lifting a hand. Now, can those things be worship? Absolutely. You know why? Because worship is a reciprocation of God's love to us. Worship is nothing more than us telling God we love him. That's what worship is. And we tell God we love him through song. We tell God we love him through lifting our hands. We tell God we love him through playing instruments. We also tell God we love him by reading scripture and living according to his word outside of the four walls of the church. Everything that we do that tells God or shows God that we love him is worship. So believe it or not, you can be a great worshiper and have a terrible voice. I know a guy like that. That was too loud, Connie. <laughs> that was too loud. Uh, today I want to look at five facts about God's love. Because if we understand God's love, then I think we will be um, motivated to reciprocate it. Five facts today about God's love that will help us learn to worship. And the very first thing that I want to talk today about is that God's love is unspeakable. It's, unspe it's, it's hard to even put into words what, how God feels about you and how God feels about me. I can't understand how God loves us. I can't define it. It's a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. It's a thought, but it's more than a thought. It's emotion, but it's more than emotion. It's all of those things, yet, yet it's so much more. It's hard to understand how God views love because our love um, amongst humans is just so different. It's so weird. It's so tainted. 
I'll be honest, my definition of love today is drastically different than Hollywood's definition of love. And I think sometimes, as far as my definition is from their definition, so is God's definition different than my definition. I think God loves us just that much. God loves us in a way that is so different than any other type of human love that we could ever compare it to. That's because human love is often temporal. It's fleeting. We love one moment and we hate the next moment. We love the Browns one day and we hate them the next day. Right? And if it's during football season and on Sunday, I'll bet you you love them and hate them on the same day. Probably within a three-hour span. I love these guys. No, I hate these guys. What is going on here? Our love is often temporal. As humans, a lot of times we love things in one season, but not in the next season. For example, I love Florida in the winter. Florida is, I don't know if you've ever been to Florida in the winter, but Florida is awesome in the winter. It's like 70 degrees, right? T-shirts and shorts. I don't like Florida so much in August. I've been there in August, you know, when it's like 110 and it's humid. I, I love it one moment, I don't love it the next. I love it seasonally. I, liked, I, I, I loved my bicycle as a kid. My dad, one year for Christmas, got us Huffies. I don't know if you remember that, Dad, but Huffies. Oh, man, we were the bomb.com if you had a Huffy. Some of you guys had Huffies. You know what I was talking about, a Huffy. And, um, and so my, my bike was my ticket to freedom. We could pedal anywhere. As long as, you're, as long as you're home by the time the streetlights go out, you're all good. Right? I know we don't live in that generation anymore, but, but I love my bike until I got a driver's license. Right? Then I didn't love my bike as much. And now that I'm old, I really don't like my bike. Right? No. I'm like, how on earth did I ever ride that thing to begin with? Um, uh, we do this with clothes. Ladies, if you're honest with yourself, we love our clothes when we first get them. Right? And they're new and they're fresh and the, the colors pop. And you're like, man, I love that outfit. And then we wash it a few times and wear it a few times and... You know, if you're me, you get a mustard stain on it somewhere. We don't love it quite so much, right? It doesn't pop. It doesn't fit that way. The newness wears off. Unfortunately, as humans, we, uh, we love temporally. We love seasonally. Um, and that's because a lot of times we as humans, we love based on gratification. What does this do for me? What am I getting out of this relationship? Does this love meet my needs? Does this love satisfy my soul? And if it doesn't, we're quickly removed from it. The world's definition of love, Hollywood's definition of love, is definitely based on gratification. Based on how it makes me feel in that moment. And so a lot of times that leads humans to uh, an understanding that our love is conflicted. It's good one moment, it's not good the next moment. It's muddled. If you remember way back to junior high, maybe when you were first discovering 
the opposite sex, and you're like, ooh, who should I ask to, to be my boyfriend? Right? Johnny is so cute. Oh, but Jimmy's so popular, right? Oh, but Jeremy has a nice personality. And then you go around to all your girlfriends, and you're like, who should I ask out, or who should I, who should I try to, you know, and it's like we're conflicted. And, and as we grow into adults, not much changes from that. We just get older and a little bit more, more mature. I want you to know today, church, that God's love is nothing like our understanding of love. Nothing like it. Throw everything that we know about love out the door. His love is so much more than all of that. It's hard to put language into it. It's unspeakable to talk about how much God loves us. And so when we tell a dying world that Jesus loves them, sometimes I wonder if they truly understand and they truly decipher that. Or if they feel like God loves them like they understand and they know love. No, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much purer. It's so much holier. Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he defines what God's love looks like. We read it at every wedding, marriage. We read it in relationships, every marriage class. Love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. God's love, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. His love for us is so unspeakable. Not only is it unspeakable today, it's also unending. It's unending. God would write this to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31.3. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I don't know about you, but everlasting is a long time. Everlasting. If you were here just today and you define your love and say, you know what, God loves me from A to Z, I would tell you he loves you so much more than that. He loves you more than the alpha to the omega. He loves you more from your first breath to your last breath. God loves you from everlasting to everlasting. It's so hard to think about because it's, it's eternal, God's love towards us. It's so hard to imagine that he loves us way before we ever came to church. That he loves us way before we even acknowledged him. That God loves us before the foundations of the earth were laid. Before he spoke, the universe into existence, God loved us. You know, when he created the world, he had you on his mind. Incredible to think about that God said in this great big world and all of time that we need one of you. And he created you and he placed you here in this moment for such a time as this. God's love is everlasting. God is eternal, working outside of time. When was God born? He wasn't. God is. When will God die? He won't die. God is. 
He is eternal. So, so subsequently, his love is eternal. God is omnipresent. Also, he is everywhere all at the same time. And subsequently, so is his love. That means that you and I cannot run from God's love. We cannot escape God's love. There's no place that you and I can, can hide from God's love. His love always was, always will be, everywhere. Paul comes to this realization in Romans 8. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying you can't run from God's love. It's unending. It's eternal. God demonstrates the awesomeness of his design and his plan. He says that regardless of what comes our way, what we experience, what we lose, what we gain, Christ made sure that we would never, ever be separated from his love. So that in every moment, we're surrounded by his love. In our moment of successes and also in our moment of failures. In our moments when we hit the ball out of the ballpark and in the moments when we strike out. In the moments that we do everything right and in the moments that we take missteps. We can never, ever burn relationships or burn bridges that would alienate us from God's love. God loves us with acceptance and compassion. He's in it with us for eternity. As infinite as time is, so is God's love for us. His love is unspeakable. It's unending. It's also unselfish. Do you know that God offers his love to you and me with nothing? In, he asks for nothing in return. However, when you experience God lo God's love, it leads us to repentance. It leads us to turning to God. When you accept God into your life, you can't help but be overwhelmed and reciprocate. Like the lady on the phone, the nurse lady, when she heard the words, I love you, she reciprocated. When, when you feel God's love, you have to give that back. It's amazing that when you come to God, he wants nothing out of you. Nothing. You don't have to do your makeup just right. You don't have to wear a certain type of clothes. You don't have to go to the finest restaurants. You, you don't have to give so much in the offering. You don't have to do any of that. He loves you the way you are. And he expects absolutely nothing in return. Because God is unselfish. That means that nothing that we can do can earn God's love. Here's the bottom line today, church. You and I, we don't serve Jesus. You and I don't worship. We don't 
give unto God. We don't come to church regularly to try to get God to love us anymore. He already loves us. We do it because he loves us. We don't have to do those things. We get to do those things. I don't, um, I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. I don't have to pray. I get to pray. I don't have to memorize scripture. I get to memorize scripture. I don't have to give to missions or tell other people about Jesus. I get to do those things. Why? Because I'm reciprocating God's love. I don't do it because God tells me to and I feel a burden or a restriction. I do it because I want to love God back. I feel God's love to me. I, I hope I'm making sense today, church. Because if you're here today and you feel burdened in your walk with God, like you have to do those things. Like you have to show up. Like you have to, to give. If you have to do these things in order to buy your way into heaven or buy God's favor or, or buy God's love, stop. Stop and receive. Just stop and be who you are. Strip away all of the stuff that we, we try to be and just be genuine. And experience God's love. And when you experience God's love, then you will begin to grow and reciprocate it naturally. I will love God because he loves me. In fact, John would write that in 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. You guys probably learned that in kindergarten or preschool, right? It's foundational. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Why? Because he first loved me, right? His love is unspeakable, it's unending, it's unselfish. Fourthly, it's unmerited. It's unmerited. Here's a newsbreaker. We don't deserve God's love. Big shocker, huh? We don't deserve his love, so subsequently nothing we can do can earn God's love. God's love is an act of grace. It's an act of mercy. And grace and mercy cannot be bought. They are freely giving. It's something that's just written into the law of the universe. It's, it's, um, it's, like, it's like gravity. We don't have to buy gravity, right? Gravity just is, it's there. Gravity just exists. It's there all the time. You might be here today, and you might say, you know what? I don't believe in gravity. You're entitled to that opinion. That doesn't stop gravity from being there. Same is true with God's love. It's there regardless of how we feel about it. It's there all the time. It's always around us. As sure as the air I breathe is God's love for you and me. And the awesome thing about it is it's unmerited. We don't deserve it. King David, the adulterer, didn't deserve God's love. But he received it. Mary, the prostitute, did not deserve God's love. But she received it. 
the blind beggar, the demon-possessed man, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the Roman centurion, the thief on the cross, the Pharisee named Saul, the biblical list of those people who don't deserve God's love goes on and on and on and on and on. But guess what? God loved them regardless, and they received God's love. And that's encouraging for people like me and for you, because you and I do not deserve God's love either. But it doesn't stop God from loving us, and it doesn't stop God from, uh, from us receiving it. His love is unspeakable, it's unending, it's unselfish, it's unmerited. And lastly, I want you to know that it's unconditional. It's unconditional. It's not based on what you and I can produce. God's love comes from the heart of God. And you can never, ever reach a place where we will not be loved by God. God loves us first. God loves us eternally. And nothing you can do makes God love you anymore. I can pastor a church, but God's not going to love me anymore for it. He loves me that much already. I can memorize scripture. I can go on missions fields. God's not going to love me anymore. God already loves me infinitely, unconditionally, for all time. So if nothing, if God can't love us anymore by the things we do, God doesn't love us any less by the things that, that we don't do. That makes sense today, church. I hope you're pondering this in your heart because it is incredible to think about how much God loves us. My sin and my, my missteps, my mistakes, the things I do for God and the things that I omit to do for God doesn't phase how much God loves us loves me makes no bearing I want to wrap this up I'm just going to invite Courtney to come to the piano maybe church I want you to know today that God loves you he loves you he loves you he loves you John wrote to combat Gnosticism you know the idea that that, that the more we know about God, the more spiritual we are. And John says that's not quite it. That's not good enough. And I know a lot of times you and I get caught into knowing God more. And we, we gain facts and we gain sermons and we gain Bible studies and we gain scriptures and we're just in this pursuit of knowledge. We're consumers. We're just consuming it, consuming it, consuming it. And if you feel like 
if you're here today and you feel like like that's been your relationship with God. You feel like I've just been trying to know more about God so that I can know, know him deeper. If you've been feeling a burden on that, and, and you know, I, today is the day where we can just break free from that. We don't have to know more facts about God to receive his love. We don't have to get to a certain place in our life where we feel we're good enough for church. We don't have to get to a certain place where we feel like I'm good enough for God now. You don't even have to repent and say you're sorry to receive God's love. What you do is you receive God's love and allow his love to overwhelm you and lead you to repentance. Because when you start understanding how much God loves you, when you understand that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross, that he loves you so much that he would give up, he would give up everything that he is and everything that he has and lay it all on the line so that we could come to know him. When you understand the depth of his love, that nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from it, that is built in, like the air we breathe, like the gravity that surrounds us, so is God's love for us. That when you and I are in church and we feel God's love, but yet when we go out into our workplaces, his love follows us. When you understand there's nowhere where we can go, there's nowhere where we can escape where God's love isn't. And you begin to just receive it. Receive it into your life. You say, God, God, I, I want you. I want to feel your love. And in that moment, you stop knowing about God and you start knowing him. In that moment of receiving. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and maybe you're here today and I do not know where you're at in your walk with God but maybe you're here and you just never felt God's love in your life like that. You've never come to grips that the God of the universe loves you that much. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I just want to start receiving God's love. I want to stop feeling the burden, stop feeling the pressure of trying to fit religious codes and religious systems. And I just want to start receiving God's love. If that's you in this place, I just want you to lift a hand so I can pray for you. Now I'm going to ask that you and everyone in the house, we, we start reciprocating God's love back to you. 
And the very first way that we reciprocate back after understanding that God loves us is we say, God, I love you too. I love you too. We say, God, would you come into my life? Thank you for coming and dying on a cross, Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Lord, allow me to experience your love. Come into my life. Allow me to feel forgiveness. Allow me to feel acceptance. Lord, today I pray in this place, Lord, not just for a new person beginning a journey, but Lord, for those of us that may have lost the joy of our salvation. Lord, and we feel the struggle and the weight of trying to be religious. We feel the weight of trying to make it to so many services or so many meetings and trying to look a certain way, trying to act a certain way, trying to dress a certain way. Lord, we feel the weight of everything the world tells us we should be. Lord, today I want to put that on pause and Lord, come back to you. Come back to the simplistic foundation that you love me, you love me, you love me. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts today. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst. Church, when you receive God's love in your life and you learn to reciprocate that, you know what that makes you? It makes you a worshiper. I'm a worshiper of Jesus. And that's where, that's where it really begins. Our relationship with God begins as a worshiper. Next week, we're going to talk about one step further, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because there's always more. There's always more.
God is good, isn't he, church? All the time. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. There's a sign-up sheets in the foyer. If you're interested in membership, you're interested in a pool party, you're interested in our um, uh, emails and all of that, just text alerts and that kind of stuff, just go ahead and sign up in the foyer. Uh, would you guys share some fellowship one with another today? Shake a few hands. Get to say hi to people before you head out and go your separate ways. Remember a couple of graduation parties this afternoon? Go in God's grace today. God bless you guys. From the dreams we once were dreaming that were held so close felt impossible I can see the deacons up here for just a minute.